purpose of the church. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of, who, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're a God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The first purpose of the church is to proclaim the excellencies of God. Listen to me. The first purpose of the church is to proclaim the excellencies and the goodness of God. This church should be a reflection of the character of God. And part of the character of God is God does things in excellence at a high level. You don't believe it? Look at creation. You say, you keep talking about excellence. Don't worry, I'm going to continue talking about excellence. We have created this new thing in our church where we have an open-door policy. Oh, we should always have an open-door policy. You know, this is very different. The policy is we're cleaning every room out to where if we leave the doors open, no one will be embarrassed if someone comes by new and sees what's behind it. We should all have that policy at our house. So I got to pitch it. Hey, listen, man, just go throw it in that room and shut the door. Come in the living area and everything looks good. Listen, that's what most churches are. If you went into most churches and started just opening doors, eventually you would find a room that would terrify you. Probably several. Good point. Probably several. We had one. We had two, we had two that were really bad. Man, listen, when I tell you we went through them rooms and threw stuff away, People said, are we going to see it? I, listen, it, I, know, I know it ain't good because we ain't used it in two years. Some of them we ain't used in five years. Mr. Eric and Mr. Johnny are so happy because they can now get in their maintenance room to get stuff. And y'all don't go pointing fingers at Mr. Eric and Mr. Johnny. As everybody in this church said, just put it in the maintenance room. Just put it in the maintenance room. For long, the maintenance room had, listen, the maintenance room had puppets in it. <laughs> we don't know how they got there. We don't know how they ended up there. They was stuff everywhere. There was, oh, yeah, plastic serving gloves. Listen, if anybody needs any plastic serving gloves, we have thousands of them in every room of the building. We had just storages of things after things after things. So now we have donated them to the UCA, ECUA receptacle. It is in the ECUA storage facility. Oh, well, that was good. Well, you should have come and got it. <laughs> you know why? It's not excellent to be able to have to hide things in the house of the Lord. So that sounds like a small thing. No, see, but the problem is small things become big things. Because if we don't do things in excellence on those small levels, on those little levels, then we don't do things in excellence otherwise. Then for long, everything dirty and everything gross and ain't nobody wants to be there and everything looks like it's falling apart because guess what? Nothing's taken care of. But how many of y'all know that's not how God works? I mean, God prunes his own trees naturally. He lets life push all the death off of them. All right, I got to keep rolling. I'm going to give you one more note here. The church exists to show the excellence of God to the world. Everything the church has and does should reflect the excellent nature of God. Everything. Now, I'm going to say it again. Everything we do should reflect the nature of God. The church should love like God loves. The church should operate like God operates. That we should do what God does. Amen. I think about, I'm going to give you one more, I, I, I'm, I'll finish, we'll get there. I think about whenever the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon's house. 
And everybody talks, everybody talks about where she says the half was not told me, and she did say that. But the most impressive thing that she says when she shows up at Solomon's house is she talks about how his servants were dressed. The food that was on his table. The way that his table was set. And then she says, the half has not been told me. She was so impressed by the level of excellence that Solomon's house ran at. This is the queen of Sheba. She said, I have never seen anything like this in my life. People say, why do we put tablecloths on the tables when we have dinner? Because it's excellent. Because it's excellent. Because when people show up to the house of God, we want them to be impressed. Not say, oh, that's good enough for the church. So I told you, don't bring your used stuff up here because we're just going to throw it in the dumpster. Don't bring us nothing you can't give to Goodwill. And don't bring us some of the stuff you're going to give to Goodwill. Man, I'm telling you something. People say, oh, the church can use this. For what? For what? Next time you say the church can use this, put a note in it as to what we can use it for. You say, that sounds ugly. It ain't ugly. It's truth. My dad used to tell the story about these people that would take sheets before they sent them to missionaries, Willie, and they'd cut them into bandages. Roll them up, send them to the missionaries so they have bandages for taking care of people. And then the missionaries would have to get them and sew them back into sheets so they could cover up. <laughs> but that's what happens. Oh, well, the, and so what happens is it creates this mentality within the church. Well, well, it's good enough. No, it's not good enough unless it's good enough for God. Listen, God, didn't take, God, God did not put up with the priest accepting sacrifices with blemish. He told the priest, he said, I'll take the dung of those animals and rub it in your face. How are you going to bring that to God? We shouldn't bring anything to the house of God that's not our very best. And so what we're going to do around here, we're going to reflect God, but we're going to do the best we can possibly do in every area at everything that this church does. We're going to do the highest level we are capable of. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the, being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The purpose of the church is to grow into a holy temple and a dwelling place for God. I mean, y'all know that we are a representation of God in this earth. We are a holy temple, and we are the dwelling place of God. What does that mean? It means when people look at his church, they should see him. The church exists, I mean, sorry, through the righteousness of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, we are growing a holy body and a dwelling place for God. We are in continual growing mode. As someone new comes into the fellowship, our job is to lead them to the place of walking in their righteousness in Christ Jesus so they are growing into a holy temple and we are growing into what? A dwelling place. This church exists so God has an earthly place to dwell. Come on now. We got to make sure we reflect that God dwells here. You know, the most important thing we can do on a Sunday morning is we can offer our community Jesus. Show that God dwells in this house. And then treat it and treat each other like he does. You know what would stop all the bickering in the church world? If we all treated one another as if we understood that God dwelled in them. 
It's very difficult to mistreat someone if you recognize they're an image bearer of God and that God dwells inside of them. I can't have aught against Brother Boone if I know that God dwells in him. Because it then turns around, I'm having aught against God. It ends church quarrels all across. Easy, easy peasy to end a church quarrel whenever you recognize that that person that you are having some issue with because y'all like different colors or different songs or different sound or different this has a, is the dwelling place of God. We are growing into the dwelling place of Almighty God. Can I tell you that Jesus loves his church? I was talking to uh, Brother J.B., Pastor J.B. Hyna that preached for us here from Iowa. And we were talking about some things of our, in our youth whenever we had, both of he and I were, we just kind of left, left dealing with the church, didn't want to have anything to do with the church, were upset at the church. And we both had to come to the same realization. It wasn't the church, it was the people misrepresenting the church. Can I tell you, no one's ever been hurt by the church. You may have been hurt by people representing the church, but you have never been hurt by the church because Jesus loves his church. I can't hate the church and love Jesus. I can't say, well, listen, I, I, listen, I love Jesus, but I ain't going to no church. I'd be like me saying, I love Jason, but I sure hate Jessica. Church is what? The bride of Christ. You want to hate the groom? I mean, love the groom and hate the bride? It's going to make for a weird relationship. It's going to make for an altar. Uh, that's going to make for some, some awkward encounters. Say, so I sure love, man, I love the bride, but I hate, I mean, I, hate, I love the groom, but I hate the bride. That gives a new meaning to bride side or groom side, doesn't it? But listen, you may sit on the bride side or the groom side, but you're still there for the wedding. See, I can't get Uncle Butch without getting Aunt Clara. You know why? Because two become one flesh. You can't have Jesus without having his church. We can figure out all the ways, oh, this so-and-so, you'll know what happened to me, Pastor Johnny. I'm telling you, the church didn't do it. Man may have done it, but the church didn't do it. What I'm talking about this morning is the real church of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about the play church. I'm not talking about the way that people have decided we're going to make the church. Well, this is the governmental body of the church. They don't have no idea what they're talking about. Listen, every time they have one of their little business meetings, all they're doing is just playing fun. It's like two little kids playing school. They ain't really having school. One of them's just standing up there talking. The other one's listening. Nothing's going on because you know who rules the church? He does. He does. Well, we're going to vote. Vote all you want to. You can't vote the will of God. It either is or it is not. If it's the will of God, it's the will of God. If it's not the will of God, it's not the will of God. If you vote for it, vote for it if you want to. That's not the real church. The real church is headed by who? Jesus Christ. You know why? He has the nail prints in his hands. How did he choose to govern his church? He gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. What? For the perfecting of the saints. God set that in order. We may get into that, too. We may run back and do some five-fold ministry gifts of the church. We ain't done that in a while. We did that in men's group a while back. We may run back through that. I think we need to. Ephesians 3, verse 10. So that through the church, now watch this. Now, you can't, if, you, if you dislike the church, this is going to be hard for you to swallow. 
So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Purpose number three, the wisdom of God is made known through the church. Now, come on now, let's talk a minute. You know what entity God left in this earth to make the wisdom of God known? The church. Not some lightning bolt from heaven that might flash and you might find something under a rock. He left the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ to reveal the mysteries of God. You're talking about an important job that we have as a church. We, are desi- we, we were left by God. We are instituted by God to reveal the mysteries of God. What does that mean? It means we better know God. It means we better know God. What does that mean? It means when people come looking for the wisdom of God, they should be able to come to the house of God and get the wisdom that they need. What's going on in our world right now is people are garnering wisdom from a lot of areas, but the wisdom of God is only given through one entity, and that is the church. There's a reason why you and I need a tribe, because the wisdom of God is released in the house of God, in the people of God, in the church of God. You can't get that wisdom sitting at the house. Let's dig through this a second. The church exists to make known the mysteries of God. How? Through biblical instruction. Do you know that that the wisdom of God is not released through how you feel? If you don't ever open your Bible... If you don't ever receive biblical instruction, you will never understand the wisdom and the nature of God. You can't feel it. You can't feel it because your senses cannot perceive God's wisdom. How many of you ever had your senses lie to you? Our natural senses cannot perceive God's wisdom. They have to come through an intimate relationship with the Word of God. It's my job every week to get up here and to unfold the wisdom of God. On Wednesday nights, we unfold the wisdom of God. In our kids' rooms, we unfold the wisdom of God because this is the entity that God chose to teach and to release the wisdom of God. So when we begin to question the necessity of church, we're questioning the necessity of God. See, that's the thing that got all, listen, it got all, uh, all big for a while. Oh, well, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't. You don't. But you're going to be a real shallow, non-grown, weak Christian. I'm telling you the truth. Y'all can like it or not like it. If you don't like it, it's okay. Do what you need to do. We can discuss it via Scripture if you want to. But what I'm telling you, don't ever come in. Well, this is how I feel. I don't care how you feel. What did you read? I will not have a theological discussion with anybody about how they feel. But if you want to have a theological discussion out of the book, we will have that. Because, listen, oh, I don't have to go to church. Well, Hebrews also says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and even more so as you see the day approaching. If the wisdom of God is released through his church, then I feel like you need to be there. People say, oh, I just, I just, I don't, I just, I don't, I can't find a church I like. Just find a church. I was talking to a young man this week. I said, listen, quit looking for a perfect church and find a church.
Looking for a perfect church and find a church. Well, this one did this wrong, and this one did this wrong, and this one did this wrong. Let me tell you something. I read something on a tweet one time that has helped helped me through so many things in life. Uh, Pastor Jensen Franklin from Tree Chapel in in, uh, Gainesville, Georgia, he posted this. He said, if everybody thinks you're a jackass, everybody can't be wrong. So let me paraphrase all that for what I'm talking about. If there's something wrong with every church, <laughs> listen, if you've been divorced five times, don't tell me what's wrong with every one of your ex-wives. I have found the common denominator. <laughs> If you've been to 22 churches in Pensacola and ain't none of them right, I have picked out what is not right. That's truth right there. But people say, well, I don't know about the church. What about the church? It's the way that God chose to reveal the wisdom of God. How am I going to call myself a Christian pursuing Christ, but yet I want to distance myself from his bride? No, I'm preaching good now. I'm preaching good. It all changed perspective on how we see the church because the church is not the enemy. There have been some people who have abused that. There have been some people who have done that wrong. But that does not change the fact that God chooses to release the wisdom of God through the church. This is his favorite entity. You are a part of of God's favorite entity on the earth, and that is the bride of Christ. How many of you men dote on your bride? If you don't, you should. Dote, if you, if you actually dote on your bride. Listen, man, if you think you do a good job of that, you ought to see how Jesus dotes on his bride. I'll give you another question. How would you men feel if somebody stood off and talked about your bride? Listen, let me tell you something. You can say anything you want to about me, but you say something about that five-foot-two-inch woman right there, and I'm going to whoop your butt. That is all there is to it. And I will 100% ask Jesus to forgive me later if I, whatever. Lord, forgive me for what I'm about to do, because I'm going to tell you something. You say anything you want to about me, but don't talk about my bride. Don't, don't, do not put your mouth on my bride, but yet we will sit around thinking we are Bible-believing Christians talking about his church. Tell everybody what's wrong with the church. Be like walking up and telling Alex, I'm going to tell everybody what's wrong with Sean. Alex said, no, you ain't. No, that ain't finna happen. You know why? It's his bride. He feels a certain way about his bride. Jesus feels a certain way about his bride. And we get to be a part of it. Watch this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Where am I? Oh, here we go. I'm just going to preach like it done if that's okay. All right. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Come on. Woo! As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Come on now. The church is chosen and precious in the sight of God. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
Purpose four, to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. What's the purpose of the church? To walk as a holy priesthood. He didn't say one day you might become. He said you are. Why are you a holy priesthood? Because he is holy, so we are. Listen, if you go through the scriptures, what you will find is if the groom is holy, then the wife, then the bride by association. If the groom is holy as the head, then the bride by association is also holy. So if Christ as the head is holy, then the, then the bride, come on now, bride is holy. He doesn't say you will become holy. He says you are a holy priesthood. The purpose of the church is to show the world what a holy priesthood looks like. What a forgiven people look like. Listen, when we come in here to worship, we should worship like we've been forgiven. When we started out this morning, we didn't do that. I was afraid for a little while this morning we was going to have to go around and cut chains loose because we did not worship like a free people. We did not worship like a holy people. Man, that should be just overflowing in us. People, when they see us, should see the representation of a righteous people knowing they're in right standing with God, walking holy before God because he made us holy. The purpose of the church, to be a holy priest. Come on. To be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices that are what? Acceptable to God. How? Through Christ Jesus. So you got to understand this because people have missed this. They mess this up all the time because they forget the last part of the verse. Is it okay if I teach y'all something for a minute? I'm going to teach y'all something for a minute. It says, we're to be a holy priesthood and we're supposed to offer what? Spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God how? Acceptable to God how? Through Christ Jesus. So we're supposed to be a representation of what a holy priesthood looks like. But we're also to be a representation of what a spiritual sacrifice that was presented not through me. See, our church is to be a representation. The purpose of our church is to be a representation of what it looks like whenever we have been presented holy and acceptable before God through Christ Jesus. The church should walk worthy of its call and acknowledgement of the finished work of Christ. See, there's a difference. There's a big difference between offering a sacrifice and offering a sacrifice through Jesus. Because, see, my sacrifice is imperfect. My sacrifice has never gotten me anywhere, but his sacrifice was a perfect sacrifice. It was a sacrifice that when laid on the mercy seat of heaven, God said, that's enough. So every day, every Sunday when we come together, every day as a church, we're supposed to be a representation of the holiness that God gave us, the righteousness that God gave us, and we should be walking that out. It doesn't mean you're sitting around trying to figure out how to sacrifice. I'd like to see any of y'all offer a spiritual sacrifice. I'm waiting. You can make a natural sacrifice, but only Jesus was able to make a spiritual sacrifice. So the purpose of the church is to reflect the finished work of Jesus. When people come in here, they should be led to the finished work of Jesus. Not, hey, let us figure out how many rules we can put on you. You want to know a surefire way for people to fail? Give them all your rules. Listen, I grew up and watched churches that had rules that their own membership didn't even live up to. Got to do this, 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 and you can join our club. Well, your club's stupid. Your club's stupid, and you don't even, you don't even live up to that. 
Because you're over here trying to make people do something that you can't do. And if you did it, it still ain't good enough and still isn't enough. So somebody put in their notes that their club was stupid. Okay, it happens. I get it. Okay. Your club's stupid. But our job, our purpose, the purpose of the church is to show that picture of what it looks like when redeemed men and women live as holy as the holy priesthood and under the sacrifice that Jesus made. Can I tell you I'm thankful that I don't have to make a sacrifice because he made a sacrifice on my behalf? You know why? Because I couldn't even get into the Holy of Holies. What got me into the Holy of Holies was Jesus being willing to go in Hebrews 9 and take his own blood and pour it on the mercy seat. I can't get in the Holy of Holies, but I'm in there through a spiritual sacrifice, not made by human hands, but made by him. That's what church should look like. That's the purpose of the church. So when people come in to this body of believers, they don't have somebody standing there holding their thumb down on them. They have somebody standing there holding their arms open and say, hey, why don't you come be a part of the family that I became a part of? Why don't you come here and receive the sacrifice of Jesus and become holy and become righteous and recognize that the person you once were, you no longer are. I ain't got to fix you because he already fixed you. That's what it means. That's the purpose. The purpose of being built into a holy priesthood. The purpose of being built into this this sacrifice and these spiritual sacrifices is, let me show you what a spiritual sacrifice looked like. That's his church. I got to keep going. Colossians 1 verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Purpose number five of the church, to acknowledge and display Christ's preeminence in all things. Purpose of the church. Man, listen, you, you go to some churches, you don't even know if they, they, if they even believe in Jesus. But the church. See, my mama used to call it this. She used to say there's like the little C church with, with the, quotation point, the quotation marks. That's the little church that hurt folks. That's the little church that mistreated folks. But now the capital C, his church, he, he's not endeavored in that thing. His church is about him. His church points to him. His church declares that he is preeminent and above all things. The lordship and worship of Christ should be the first thing someone notices about the church. My prayer is the first thing anyone notices about this church is that we love like God loves and that we point to Jesus. And that we point to Jesus. See, the problem with the idea of what I was talking about a minute ago where we got to point out to everybody everything wrong with them, that don't point to Jesus. That don't point to Jesus. What points to Jesus is, hey, you bring me everything you got. You bring me all your mess. You bring me all your failures. And I'm going to point you to a man. That when you receive the sacrifice of this man named Jesus, you will never be the same again. Old things will pass away. Behold, all things will become new. You will be a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. 
That's the purpose of his church. Not The purpose of the church is not this. It's this. It's not this. It's this. We exist to point to Jesus. Our lives exist to point to Jesus. Our expectation is not on what that person is able to do by themselves. Our expectation is on what is Jesus going to do in their life. That's the purpose of the church. Six, Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Number six, the purpose of the church, to stir other members of the body to love and to good works. We are responsible one to another. Purpose of the church is to continually build one another up, not tear one another down. Love together. Talked about last week, we are family. Ten things that make us family. We weep together. We rejoice together. We love together. Because we are responsible one to another. That verse would not say in there, hey, listen. It says, and let us consider how to do what? To stir up one another to love and good works. It doesn't say, hey, and let us consider how we can get as far away from everybody else and do things on our own and try to love people the way we love people, but don't worry about what your neighbor's doing. I'm going to say this, and you may or may not like it, but you have a responsibility to encourage the person sitting next to you. You have that responsibility. See, what does it mean to, 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 to encourage one another to love and good works? It means we don't sit around and gossip to one another. It means we don't sit around and talk about somebody else in the ministry. We don't sit around and talk about what this person did wrong or what that person did wrong. You know why? Because that is, not, that is not encouraging someone to love. If I come sit down and tell Randy, hey, you know what I heard somebody said about him? You know what I'm doing? I'm definitely not encouraging him to love. As I begin to spread things I may or may not have heard, because here's the thing, by the time it got to you, it probably wasn't even what was said. I've told you all this before, but I can make you dislike the person you love most in the world. All you have to do is not, you're not allowed to do anything except think about the negative things about that person for the next six months. And confess those negative things about them and over them for the next six months. You know what will happen? You'll dislike the person that you love the most. That's not encouraging to love and good works. That's not promoting love and good works. It's, I've told people a lot of times in, in, in marital counseling, They'll come in, they're having fights, they're arguing, they're, you know, their husband's the worst thing in the world, the wife's the worst thing in the world, whatever. But the problem is not is that they've gone out and told all their friends. And see, here's what always happens. And I've seen this happen over and over and over. They're going to kiss and make up. But the friend they went and talked to for an hour and a half about how much their husband sucked. You know what happens then? They feel bad towards that person. Why? Because that is not encouraging love and good works. There are people in your life that you need to be able to go talk to, but don't just turn around and talk to all your friends. Because if your friend is friends with both of y'all, they will have bad feelings toward one of y'all. That's not promoting love and good works. What does it mean? I mean, before you talk to someone in the body, you need to figure out what you're saying. 
Is this going to build them up or is this going to tear them down? Is this going to make their love walk increase or is it going to make it harder for them to love? Those are just simple questions we ask ourselves so that we make sure we're following the purpose of stirring up. See, we like to stir up. We like to stir up. This world is full of people who like to stir up. And the Bible says you're supposed to stir up. There's just certain things you're supposed to stir up and certain things you're not supposed to stir up. Amen? All right, I got one more thing and I'm going to be done. I'm going to finish uh, relatively on time. We're good. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am what? With you always, even to the end of the age. So last but certainly not least, the purpose of the church, to make disciples, to baptize, to teach. Every church should be making disciples, be baptizing, be teaching. Why? Because here's what it looks like. Making a disciple, what does it mean to make a disciple? It means to reproduce a Christ follower. That's a very simple definition. It's very easy to understand. To make disciples means to reproduce a Christ follower. We're doing a Simply Invite campaign. It's going to be a lot of fun the way we're doing it, but you know what the idea behind it is? To reproduce Christ followers. See, if I'm not reproducing Christ followers, if I'm not reproducing myself, I'm not doing what God has called me to. You know why? Because everything that God puts his hand on reproduces after its kind. You know what kills a church, or a, 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 I'm going to call it a church, but I'm talking about a, like a church, not the church, but a church body, you know what kills it? When it stops reproducing itself. You know what is the guaranteed death of a civilization? When their reproduction rates drop below the, below the, um, the replacement rate. The death of a civilization, you go through any of them you want to. Miss Jessica, she is a history teacher. You look at any civilization, the way that they died off is because their birth rate fell below the replacement rate necessary for the people who were dying. If you go into a church that was once thriving and is now dying, here's all that happened. They stopped producing disciples. They stopped producing disciples. Because eventually they go, the disciples that are in that church, they're going to get promoted to heaven. And if there's nobody coming behind them, I'm going to say this, and people won't like it, but you cannot have a growing and thriving church without a busy nursery. If you go in the nursery of a church and there are no babies in it, you have a dying church. You know how I know that? Because if you don't have babies being born, you got people who are dying, and eventually what's going to happen? You're going to run out of folks. Best thing to ever happen in the church is a crying baby. Anytime we have children who have to sit in the church service, if a baby cries out, all I know is thank you, Lord, that we are a growing church because we are making disciples. <laughs> To make disciples, the purpose to reproduce Christ followers. Next, what's, what's this? To baptize, what does that mean? It means to encourage public declarations of faith. To get people to the point where they want to declare to the world that they've accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Can I tell you something? You've got to get a disciple before you really get a person who's baptized. Man, I, listen, some people in the church are like, I just want to get baptized. Listen, if you ain't living for the Lord and you get baptized, my dad used to say this, all that happens is you go down a, a dry center and come up a wet hypocrite. You know why? Because all baptism is is a public declara declaration of your faith in Jesus. 
So what does that mean? It means first you've got to make disciples. First you've got to have duplication. And once you have made a disciple, then they can come up and they can say, I am here to declare before God and everybody through water baptism that I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So it goes through a process. It says first you've got to get them to where they want to follow Christ. Then they've got to acknowledge that they are following Christ. And what's the third thing? Then you've got to teach them. See, you don't teach someone to disciple them. First, you have to reproduce them. Then you have to say they want to accept it. One, one thing that happens in the church world, we get people who we say, well, they got saved, but they hadn't made that public declaration. You don't have to be baptized to go to heaven, but let me show, something to, let me show you something. Once you have accepted Christ, if you really accepted Christ, you ought to want to tell the world. But you cannot take someone and teach them to follow Christ, they have to choose. See, one of the problems in the church world that we've always tried to do, we've tried to teach people and kind of talk them into it. How many of y'all can remember when you really chose to follow Christ? I'm talking about when you made that decision. I mean, you really made that decision. I'm not talking about, well, you know, it was, there was some good music playing and I just felt it. I'm talking about when you knew that he was going to be the Lord of your life. And once you made that decision, here's the thing. When you made that decision, you had to choose to follow him. It wasn't because somebody was, you know, they, they effectively sat down and taught you the Roman road. It wasn't because they tried to take scripture and teach you out of the gospels. You chose him. Then you declared that you had chosen him. Then you can be taught. My Aunt Clara taught for years. How long did you teach for? Long time. More, more years than she wants to tell, tell us, apparently. But you know what? In order for her to teach somebody something, they had to choose to be taught. They had to choose to be taught. You could sit in a classroom and learn absolutely nothing as long as you close your ears off and don't want to learn. And so the deal is this. You're not going to teach someone to be a disciple. They're going to choose to be a disciple, and then you're going to teach that disciple. Once somebody has chose Jesus, I can teach them the Bible. I can teach them the Word of God. I can teach them what God has to say about it. But if I'm teaching them before they've chose Christ, the Bible says I'm cast in pearl before swine. So it, gives, it lays it out for us. And the church says the purpose of the church is to make disciples, to baptize, and then teach. It's easy to teach somebody who wants to learn. It's impossible to teach someone who does not. And it is absolutely impossible to teach someone to become something they don't want to be. Right there. Cry on, kid. It's fine. Right on cue. I love it. I love it. I love whenever we get, I see pictures on Facebook of all the kids in the nursery. All them babies crawling around. You know what that means? It means we are growing. We are making disciples. What we're going to do, what we're going to do in October through the Simply Invite campaign, we're going to make disciples. We're going to get people in here, and they're going to choose to follow Christ. And then we're going to get them to the point where they want to tell everybody they chose Christ. And then we're going to teach them. And then we're going to teach them. See, the, the problem is, is the church has, has taken the idea of discipleship as if it is convincing to convince someone. A disciple doesn't have to be convinced. You can't convince a disciple otherwise. 
Once someone is a disciple, once they have chose, you can't convince them otherwise. If you have to convince somebody to follow Jesus, they're not really following him. I've tried, man. When I was young in ministry, I chased people around trying to convince them to follow Jesus. They didn't want to have nothing to do with it. They'd be nice and talk to me when I talked to them. And they might show up every now and then on a Sunday, but they didn't want to follow Jesus. They wanted to follow them. The Bible says in order to follow Christ, you have to do what? Deny yourself, take up his cross, and follow him. Now that following, it takes you some places. It'll take you to the death, the burial, the resurrection, the right hand of authority. But you've got to go with him every step. But it first starts by denying yourself. Every person that I've ever tried to witness to or tried to minister to, they all came to the same exact point. We all come to the same exact point. We either choose God or choose us. People say, oh, well, I just didn't want to. They say, oh, they didn't want to choose between God and their friends. It wasn't their friends. It was them. The only decision that is ever made is never God versus a wife or God versus friends. It is God versus self. There's no other decision to be made. People can tell you anything they want to tell you. It's I would rather choose this than God. Well, this is pulling me away. No, no, no. Nothing's pulling you away. You're walking away. I'm walking away. I can either choose Christ or I can choose this over here. But it's still me choosing. It's still choosing between what God wants for me and what I want for me. People say, I had to hit bottom. What you really had to do is realize you were terrible at running your life. That's what you realize. What you realize is not that you had to hit bottom. You had to realize, I'm awful at running my life. I'm bad at this. But God is awesome at this. That's what becoming a disciple means. Alex can't run Alex's life for beans. And every time he's ever tried, he runs it into a ditch, then backs over it, then flips it over, picks a Cat 5 bulldozer, drives over the top of it, sets it on fire, puts it out, and then lights it on fire one more time. You know how I know that? Because I'm the same way. Because you're the same way. And what being a disciple means that I've chosen, I can't run my life, he runs my life well. And so we, so we get a person to that point where they're willing to say, hey, I can't do this, but he can. You can't teach him nothing. They, some of you got people in your life that you've tried to witness to, but they won't make that decision, but you're trying to convince them. You know, the best way that you can get them to live, to do that, is get them to follow the direction you are walking. So watch this. As God begins to do things in your life, they're going to take a step back and say, wow, how did that happen? How did that happen in your life? And eventually they're going to say, hey, what's going on? You say, well, here's the deal. You know that Jesus I've been talking to you about? He did this in my life. And then they got to make that decision for themselves. 